Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in our country's armed forces. On this series, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and experiences. We'll talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector. And we'll discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. All right, so I want to welcome in our featured guests here today on Veteran Voices, Aaron Freed, Warehouse Slotting Analyst with McKesson, and U.S. Army Reserve Logistics Officer. I'd add a third one, incredible live stream subject matter expert. So, Aaron, good afternoon. How you doing? Afternoon, Scott. I'm doing pretty awesome. Thank you for that. I really like the live feeds. It's something I just bring up on my iPad while I'm sitting here doing warehouse analysis, and I can just pop over, do a little type in, answer a response, see how things are going. So it, it keeps me, uh, gives me a little something to do in the background. That's why we do it. We, we really enjoyed your contributions and, and the conversations that come out of those. So I really appreciate that. And it is nice uh, in this day and age as we're working fast and furiously emails and phone calls and problems across supply chain and other parts of the business world to kind of have a little friendly banner in the background, right? It is. It's, you get a little bit of that from the office and I still get that with the occasional Teams chat, text back and forth, but you just don't have that constant interaction. So it's nice to have that bit of banter back and forth and actually feel, you know, that interpersonal connection. Outstanding. I, I agree with you. Kindred spirits there. So let's, uh, for the sake of this interview here, I'm really excited. appreciate your time. I've been looking forward to this. Let's start out with the basics. So tell us where you're from and you got to give us an anecdote or two about your upbringing. Okay. I grew up in Ventura County. Uh, it's a suburb just north of, you know, it's, it's just north of Los Angeles. So, uh, I was a bit of a Dodgers fan growing up, but I have since lost touch with sports. But, of course, today, you know, is a good day to be from L.A. Right. And let's fill in for the, the three listeners that may not have, be aware. The Dodgers just won the World Series for the first time, I think, since, what, 86, 88 maybe? According to one of my friends on Facebook, a, I think a 32-year slump, a 32-year wait is now over. And he's not even 40, so he's been waiting most of his life. <laughs> So congrats to the Dodgers fans in, in our audience. But you, so you grew up, you said in North L.A., is that right? It's, uh, so Ventura is north of L.A., about 30 minutes to an hour, depending upon how traffic on the 405 and the 101 goes. Um, so it's kind of between Los Angeles and Santa Barbara. So when you look back and think of growing up in, the, in that beautiful part of the country, what's a couple things that, that uh, you miss to this day? In and out. I still miss In and Out. Every time I came home from leave, the first thing that my parents and brother knew to do was we're stopping at In and Out because Aaron, Aaron needs his double double. As if it's it's just there's just no substitute. I've heard a lot from folks I know from the West Coast and from California that that's the first thing they get when they go back too. So it must be a big thing. First time I'd really gone home, I was actually uh, mid tour leave on my deployment to Iraq. I was brand new second lieutenant and that was just like I've been in uniform haven't you know slept or showered or anything in maybe about 48 hours because it takes a while to fly back and I just like I need to do now I need a hamburger I need a good hamburger so that's, and that just kind of started the tradition so when I go back 
that's what we do in and out. I love it. Love it. All right. So, so beyond getting your burger fix, uh, yeah. when you think of your childhood, what else really sticks out? Honestly, uh, my parents, they were a huge influence on me. They, uh, my mom is a retired nurse and worked in pediatrics. My dad was a city planner for the city of Simi Valley. And they really had a huge impact on who I am today. Uh, because of what they did, that's kind of why I do what I do. I mm. really got that sense of service, of helping people, thinking about your community. And that has stuck with me, really, my whole life. It's one of the reasons I went into the military. It's one of the reasons I've stayed working in supply chain and why I'm so proud to be on the McKesson team because it's it's great to work for a company that's not just making money, but it's actually doing something that is giving back. I love your answer to that. So let's let's go to step further because the next question I had for you is, you know, what did make you join the military? Why did you join the military? I think you've given us a big chunk of the answer, but is yeah. there anything else that you really point to? I'm Jewish and my family are immigrants. We came to America over a couple of generations just looking for that opportunity for being safe, for being, you know, not in a place that doesn't, that doesn't like you. So mm. I really wanted to kind of give back to my country uh, because we had a, we've had a very good life. I got to live that sweet middle upper class, you know, suburb lifestyle and all the wonderful privilege that comes with it. And I wanted to cash in some of that privilege and give back. So the military, uh, government service, it seemed to me like a good fit. And so that was that was the plan. Originally, I was actually going to use the military as a stepping stone into law enforcement. But after the first couple of days of ROTC at San Diego State, I knew, no, this is, this is what I'm doing. This is my career. Uh, I'm sticking this out. Let's talk about, let's continue on that path, college and ROTC and how you got your commission. And then we'll go sure. more into what you did uh, on active duty. So tell us more about that. I went to college uh, originally actually intending to be a Marine, and then my roommate freshman year was a Marine, so I decided to go to the Army. I just wanted to, you know, I loved it. It was great. Originally, I tried to be a computer engineer, but calculus is super hard at 7 in the morning, uh, so I switched to a slightly easier major after a couple of years, criminal justice. Turns out, instead of being up till 3 in the morning writing code, I literally could study for my final by watching Law & Order. Uh, so <laughs> Nice trade-off, right? Nice trade-off, definitely took some stress out of the picture, and, you know, college was just a great experience. I loved it. Um, I met so many wonderful people I'm still in touch with today from ROTC, and it really helped shape me. I didn't actually ever intend to be in supply chain. I wanted to be a tank commander. I wanted to be an armor officer, but turns out not so doing well in calculus meant I became needs of the Army, and so heartbroken me, I was assigned a role as a transportation officer um, and my ROTC instructor who was an armor officer consoled me and said Aaron it's it's just like being in a tank only there's no armor and there's no guns <laughs> and honestly if I'd been a logistics officer I'd be retired right now with a six-figure job what could have been but but you're having so much fun on this current journey right the best thing that could ever happen to me uh, was not getting what I wanted but getting what I needed that trying to always stay positive, stay flexible, Semper Gumby, it's my motto. That is logistics. That is supply chain. It's what you do is you've always got to be prepared, adaptable, flexible. It's what we keep talking about in, in the live streams. There's anything can happen at any moment. So I just kept staying flexible. And I went off to Germany after commissioning, sold my soul for three years. I was going to give it to him anyway, so got something in return. 
so when did you graduate? What year was I that? graduated two thousand eight. Okay, two thousand eight, and then went to Germany on active duty as an army officer, commissioned officer, and spent three years there. Three years, give or take a deployment to Iraq. I showed up, and literally forty days exactly, I was downrange in Kuwait with my company. Mm. I showed up. We were a truck company, uh, driving tractor trailers. So the M915, which is basically just a giant Oshkosh trailer or tractor painted green with armor slapped on the sides. That's what we drove. We did a lot of 40-foot trailer hauling, moving stuff up and down route. What's Highway 1, we called it MSR Tampa, Main Supply Route Tampa, just up and down from Baghdad down to the Kuwaiti border, moving stuff as part of retrograde in 2009. Uh, thankfully, it was an incredibly safe deployment. Never shot at, never blown up. Everyone came home. I think the only injury we had was someone got hurt playing basketball. Thankfully, and I really appreciate your, your combat deployment because that, that, those are some dangerous parts of the world, as we all know. Let's talk about one of my favorite questions in these interviews is favorite people. And think about you know folks that either worked for you or folks that, that, that were your peers or maybe some leaders you worked for that really had a big impact on, on not just your, your time served, but as you've already alluded to, some of your lessons learned that apply to you know, more broadly to your life experiences and global view. That is always the big one. And I, could, I can just start listing the names of practically everyone I've worked with. I have had the honor and pleasure of serving alongside hundreds, thousands of people, uh, great men and women who were the enlisted folks that did the actual jobs, the NCOs who mentored me, advised me, supervised the soldiers, fellow officers, peers and superiors, and even eventually subordinates as I rose up who have made a huge impact. Everyone I've come across has left their mark on me, just like I've hopefully left a better mark on them. First person I really want to talk about, though, is my close friend, uh, Hunter Berg, uh, he was, he's now Major Berg. He's still on active duty. Uh, I think he'll be up for Lieutenant Colonel in a few years, and I'm pretty sure he's going to get it because he's just one of those kinds of people who mm. keeps succeeding. He was my company commander after coming back from Iraq, and I was his executive officer. So we worked hand-in-hand hand along with the company First Sergeant Kermit Joseph to make things happen. And we very quickly became fast friends. Hunter's the person who really taught me about the importance of people. It's not just enough to be smart. It's not just enough to know the manuals inside and out, to know all the technical stuff. It's people. You can't get things done without people. And he was tough, you know, gruff. He was all about discipline, hard training. Like, he worked that company so hard. We went from doing zero truck missions back in Germany a week, zero. We weren't doing anything. And he was pushing to have us pull 22 missions a week, which wow. was a, and within a few months we were getting it. He was just going around knocking on doors. Hey, give me missions, give me jobs. I want my truck drivers driving trucks because that's the best training is doing. And even though suddenly we're doing all this maintenance, we're going to the field, we're doing training, we're running missions, people are away from their you know, spouses, their kids, everyone was happy because he, he knew them and he kept them busy and gave them what they needed without just not giving them what they wanted. And so even though he was this you know, tough disciplinarian, he, everyone loved him. One of the most amazing officers I've ever had the privilege to work with. So glad I get to call him friend. 
Uh, we still chat on the phone periodically, message on Facebook and stuff back and forth. But Hunter is honestly one of the, the most impactful people in my life from my career. Well, so that that is uh, currently Major Berg. You mentioned that he may he he he, he uh, is up for Lieutenant Colonel around the corner. Good luck, yeah. uh, Major Berg, if you're listening to this. That's awesome, and and the, the relationship that endures. I really love that. Who else uh, comes to mind? Another person who's had a big impact probably doesn't realize it, but uh, is Colonel retired uh, Rob Campbell and. The reason I bring him up is because I was his, uh, one of his company commanders. He was the brigade commander, uh, so I was two levels below him. He commanded the battalions who yelled at me, and I was the support company commander for the Cavalry Reconnaissance Squadron, 132 Bandits, uh, Elvis's unit. Really? Yep, Elvis's unit, 132 Cav. Uh, there are pictures of Elvis all over the squadron HQ. <laughs> That's awesome. Love <laughs> yeah. that. And so he brought all of his commanders in to do this leadership growth thing. I don't know if the video can yep. see it. Yep. Uh, true growth, a bunch of senior, you know, retired colonels and generals to talk to us about leadership and being an authentic leader. And one of the things that's on this card is my core purpose, which is what defines my core values, which helps shape my leadership behaviors. And my core purpose is to do the right thing improve the lives of others, and embody tikkun olam, which is a principle from Judaism about healing the world and restoring the world. Being able to like take time, sit down, put that on paper, and then he made us carry these cards with us, and eight years later, I'm still carrying the card with me. Even though he's retired, I'm out of the unit, I'm out of this active army. That meant a lot because it allowed me to really focus on what Simon Sinek talks about, the why. Right. To your why. Why do you do? Why well, want to I want to do the right thing and make lives better. So that's why I work the way I work, and it's why I do what I do. Love that. I bet you've just made Colonel Rob Campbell's day to have something stick with someone that, that worked for you or for, for him. Or I mean, that's so meaningful, and clearly it's words to live by. And I, I think, what was that phrase you shared about, about healing the world? Tikkun Olam. Okay, Tikkun Olam. Tikkun, uh, T-I-K-K-U-N. O L A M. All right, I'm about to give give my son and my daughters a similar card. Uh, that that really inspirational. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Beyond uh, Major Berg and Colonel retired uh, Colonel Campbell, who else sticks out? There's been a lot of people. I've got a list right here. I'm just trying to pick who to who to talk about. I've worked with a lot of amazing people. Probably the next person I want to talk about would be um, now Colonel retired Joseph Power the Fourth, who was my boss's boss in Kuwait uh, later in my, much later in my career. I was the installation transportation officer, the ITO, and he was the brigade commander for Area Support Group Kuwait. Basically, he ran the base. He was the installation commander responsible for all the contracts, all the life support, so the dining facilities, base security, the MPs, the morale welfare programs, Anything that was installation-related, that was him. He ran a small city, and now he runs a bunch of stuff for Amazon. Really? Uh, yep. He is a senior operations manager for Amazon, and he, he really empowered his subordinates to go out there and do the right thing because he, that's what he embodied was every day, you know, look, what are the rules? 
if that's the rules, then those are the rules. I don't care about, you know, making people happy. I care, you know, I do care about making people happy, but I also care about doing it ethically. You know, we're not going to break the rules. We're not going to commit fraud, waste, and abuse. We're going to spend taxpayer money smart. As the ITO, I oversaw all the transportation stuff, which meant all the leased vehicles. And there's a good 1,200 vehicles we lease each year to support getting around on and off post because the Kuwaitis generally do not like us driving around with Humvees. It's kind of disconcerting to their population. Mm. But, you know, leased SUVs, totally good. You know, it's interesting you shared that. I, I spent a little bit of time, a little bit of time, a uh, 45-day TDY at uh, Al Jabbar Air Base, not too far from Kuwait City. Yeah. And now I'm thinking about it. I, I never really connect the dots because our SPs, our yep. security teams, some of the officers, they would all drive not Land Rovers, but uh, something similar rather than any military vehicle. Uh, what did we have? I'm trying to remember. It was the... Well, car names are bouncing around my head. It was like an Isuzu. Well, whatever it is. It, it, yeah. To your point, it was it <laughs> was SUV. A, yes, it was an SUV. And I never really understood and co connected the dots why, but now I guess you're filling in the dots, gosh, 18 years later. Yep. It was a, a community outreach uh, initiative, perhaps. Yep. It was a big part of how we maintain good relations with the Kuwaiti government and people is by being respectful of them and, you know, continuing to build off that, you know, trust. But to that tune, it was also a very expensive thing because uh, they weren't cheap. Leasing a vehicle is not cheap, especially when you're the people providing it know you've got deep government pockets. And right. so making sure that we only got, say, 1,200 instead of 2,000 vehicles, we want to make sure that we have enough but not too many so we're not wasting money. And everyone wanted a car. Everyone wanted to be able to drive around. And I was the person they had to go through. And I said a lot of no because that's just the way it works. What you got to do. As ITO, you got to yeah. say no. Sometimes right? it, being a leader means saying no and being able to go, I'm, you, you don't, we don't need this. You don't need this. You may want this. Needs are not wants. Uh, just because you're a lieutenant colonel or a sergeant major doesn't mean you get a car. Right. You get to use your feet just like everyone else. <laughs> Chevrolet legs, as a buddy, dear dear friend of mine in the military once called it, uh, Highland Wong. Hopefully you're doing well, Highland. So I know there's a few other folks we want to recognize. I want to give you the opposite version of this question, but let's. I want to make sure who else who else when you look back, you you really you had some special experiences with. My first platoon sergeant, Sergeant First Class Cheryl Taylor. My motor sergeant, truck. I still call him truck. Sergeant First Class Robert Parrish. My my second platoon sergeant. Sergeant First Class Dale Spinagle. Tons, right? Hundreds. Just, yeah, I'm just basically listing all the people I worked with. My The, the fellow lieutenants I worked with, now Major Abigail Gage, Major Sean Donahoe, now out Captain Kent Robbins, great guy from a completely opposite life from me. Grew up, you know, cow punching out in the eastern part of uh, Washington and very different from me in every single way, but we're still close friends. So let, let me let me throw a, not a curveball, but a little bit of a, we'll call it a, a splitter. Sure. Not only do we learn so much from from the best leaders we work with, the best team members we work with, but, um, you know, the salt of the earth people that you just l listed a lot of those folks that made a huge positive impact in your life. But let's, without naming names, I think we've all worked for some really, let's, let's just say not ideal folks, maybe that weren't meant 
to supervise or lead or even manage. And, and, you know, those have been, at least in my journey, some really powerful lessons learned. Again, without naming names, is there a lesson or an individual or an experience that comes to mind along those lines that you learned something big from? Absolutely. I have worked with people who sometimes they weren't the right leader for, for me. Sometimes they weren't the right leader for that position. People who should not have really been in a company command position, people who were in command too long and just needed to not do that anymore. And even myself, I've had screw ups. I was an okay company commander. I was not great. I was not spectacular. I am a small teams kind of guy. I am, you know, surround me with maybe five, six people and we work together. I'm amazing. Tell me, hey, here's 70 folks, run it. That's, that's not my back. That's not mm. my expertise. That's not where I shine. And that's what I had to do. I was adequate. And I own and accept that shortcoming mm. because it's the only way to, to learn from that, to, to grow and better know who I am and where I should be doing and help others find out what they're doing. I really appreciate that. It takes a, it takes a very experienced, confident honest, transparent, and authentic person to share what you just shared. And, and, and those are the type of people that we want to work with and, and build with and do stuff with because it allows you to move faster because we're all not built. I mean, I, heck, I wish I was built to be an NFL quarterback, you know, with the golden yeah. arm and all that stuff, be able to lead, you know, 11 folks or 10 other folks into battle, play in and play out. Yeah. That wasn't unfortunately in my DNA and, you know, to lead 70 or 700. I mean, I mean, you know, we're all meant to, to do certain different things. And, and uh, I really appreciate what you shared. Let's talk about accomplishments though, because sure. just already hearing you share some of your tidbits, different components of your career, different stops, different things you're responsible for, different roles. Y'all still got a lot done, a ton done, especially during a, yeah. a really challenging time. It still is challenging to be in the military. It seems like we've been at you know, at war and in conflict for forever. When you look back, though, Aaron, and look back at what you and, and your colleagues and your team got accomplished, what are you most proud of? Most proud of was probably the position I enjoyed the most was as the ITO in Kuwait because I was given trust, given a great team to work with of civilians and military and contractors, and I enjoyed it because I got to actually be technically you know, smart. I got to be sometimes the smartest guy in the room, which I don't like it because, you know, Pat, I, I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room because then I'm in the wrong room. But I got to and find out, okay, I might actually be the smartest person in the room. Then I'm going to use that. And I'm very proud of what we did because we, we actually helped to reduce some of those contract costs by $600,000 annually taxpayer money wow. by implementing data-driven decision-making, which analyze the utilization rate of vehicles across the entire fleet to come up with actual specific recommendations for what gets cut, who needs an extra vehicle added, rather than what they'd been doing for well over a decade was some general up high says, I don't know, we're spending too much money, cut it in half. Why? Because it feels right. And then a board of colonels sitting there going, I don't know, you don't need a vehicle, why? I'm a colonel. Feels right. And, you know, intuition, gut feeling takes you only so far. And being able to hand a bunch of spreadsheets and graphs and charts to those panel of colonels and go, well, we need to cut these 10 vehicles because they get driven 100 kilometers 
and they should be driven, you know, 10,000 miles is what we're really looking for each year. They didn't go anywhere. We're wasting money. And they can look at me and go, yeah, do it. <laughs> that was one of the things I am most proud of was revising an entire system that I know was still being used the next year because my replacement called me <laughs> from Kuwait while I was back stateside to talk to me about it. That's just like goes back to the card uh, that you got from Colonel Campbell. It, 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 it's enduring. It, it works so well. It still means something to you. So yeah. for your successor to be used in a system that y'all created and were so successful with. 36-page how-to book because I had – because to, to, I had just completed a master's degree in supply chain and app management, so I had all these analysis tools under my belt that I'm still using today that I knew most people didn't. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to assume everyone else here knows how to calculate a standard deviation, let alone do that in Excel and build these you know, pivot tables. I'm going to write a 36-page how-to manual of <laughs> walking you through step-by-step step so you don't need to know anything about math. Just do the things, and, it, and it'll work out fine. Love that. A continuity manual yes. is what we call those when I was I was active duty. Continuity book. Yes, there you go. Um, I hated typing those things up. Man, mine wasn't nearly as complicated as yours was, but nevertheless. So now I want to switch gears. You're still a reserve in, in the U.S. Army Reserve, so, yep. so you're still serving. We really appreciate that. Let's talk about your transition from active duty into into your first role. Talk about that. What What was that experience like? So that was a, a pretty interesting experience. I left active duty actually being uh, involuntarily separated. I didn't get picked up for major on active duty. I got my three looks and then by law had to be separated, though I kind of engineered that a little bit. I didn't think I was going to get it if I actually tried. I ran the numbers, that's what I do, and going into like, well, I've got maybe a you know 10% chance of getting picked up if I can't get this excellent eval. I'm just coming off a year in Kuwait. I haven't seen my wife in a year. I kind of really want to spend time with her and not be at the office late. And, and I was taking an instructor role that was incredibly rewarding, the most rewarding position. I enjoy, I loved being the ITO in Kuwait, but it was the most rewarding experience being an instructor. And I was like, I really don't want to kill myself at this job, which is supposed to be a bit more of a take a knee type thing. Mm to try and get that evaluation that might improve my odds from 10% up to, you know, 30%. So I'm just going to plan that I'm getting out. But I also had some friends who steered me in the right direction and said, don't put in paperwork to ask to leave. Make them kick you out because you'll get severance. And I went, <laughs> well, no one told me that. Most people don't tell you that if you get forcibly separated for, you know, honorable service, they're going to hand you a big old check and say, thank you and have a nice day. So I told my bosses, this is my plan. And I had excellent leaders who worked with me, Major, now Lieutenant Colonel Sanchez and Mr. Keith Fagler, who's the civilian director for the department. They supported me 100% and gave me an amazing write-up in evaluations uh, so that when I went to my civilian employers, they would look at it and go, wow, you look great, because they're not going to know the difference between most qualified and highly, highly qualified. They don't care about, you know, this little checkmark box. They want to see the big fancy words. So I kind of engineered my own demise, but they supported me in that separation. And the big part about that transition was I thought I was going to be okay, that it was going to be 
nice smooth sailing and it really wasn't even though I started almost like six seven months in advance writing my resume starting to submit job applications talk to people get to a feel for what's out there it was still a rough rocky situation because it's a world change for I think this is what happens for every person who comes off military service and transitions is it's a complete paradigm shift you don't even speak the same language half the time I had to demilitarize my LinkedIn, convert and translate all of my job assignments from, no, no one knows what a platoon leader is. I was a truck, you know, section junior manager and converting all that was a huge challenge and there's not really anyone you can reach out to immediately for that help. And that's improving. There's a lot of good organizations out there that help with that, help with resume writing, help with those situations. Aaron, really quick for context, when did you transition? What was uh, that was July. I, I left active service in July 2000, 2018, 2019. I always mix that up. But there was, to your to your point, there still isn't. There has never has been. I, I know there's been different technology providers that have come up with different way. Hey, plug your MOS in here, your AFSC, and and yep. you know here's what you're qualified quote-unquote qualified to do there's not a um an algorithm or an ai yeah that you can turn your linkedin profile over to and it spits out you know everything the way it should be for private sector consumption yeah. and that's it's, still, it's rough yeah it is rough i'm actually working with my local apex chapter on that the president of the local chapter spoke to me about that He's like hey can you talk to us about your transition um and what can we do to help the military community because Fort Lee, home of Army Logistics, is right here. We're the supply chain folks. We want to support them. And how do we help those people help ourselves, get these great leaders and supply chain folks into our businesses, our government agencies? Uh, so that's actually something I'm, I'm talking with them about. How do we build those relationships? How do we get that out there? It was, it was a, new, a rough transition. I actually did not have a job lined up by the time I left active duty. It was very narrow. I landed something the last minute with Pepsi they had done uh sent one of their managers came by the you know the separation office to to do some interviews and I walked in impressed the crap out of them with my resume he's <laughs> like you I'm gonna tell you you're overqualified for this job and I'm just thinking that's fine but do I get money for doing a thing because I kind of need to eat <laughs> so I did I signed on I was a uh, supervisor for Pepsi and it was an intense nine months with them. Fascinating experience getting to learn a business just like that and learning how the warehouse worked, learning how to work with people who don't instantly jump when I say now because uh, you, as you keep talking about in the, in the live stream, in, in the military, everyone's all on that mission because you know that there's something at stake, people's lives. And then you're at Pepsi and you're like, it's sugar water, man. It's It's diabetes in a bottle we're not exactly super thrilled and motivated i'm here for a paycheck and learning a lot of that and getting to apply leadership skills incredible experience really set me up for what i do now because i can't really be a good warehouse slotting analyst unless i understand a warehouse mm. uh, so i'm really appreciative of that opportunity with pepsi we're going to talk about what you're doing now but before we do i want to for our listeners that may be either experiencing a transition They've got a transition around the corner. Let's make sure that, that 
you can share some advice with them. So clearly you've already answered one of the questions I like asking folks was your transition more challenging than you expected. Oftentimes the answer is yes, unfortunately, despite all the newfound layers of support and, and folks willing to help, you know, now versus say, you know, 10, even five years ago. When you think about advice you'd give for folks that are either about the transition or they're in the thick of things, sure. you know, we all want to help a lot. What What's a short list of things that folks need to have in mind? I jotted some ideas down about that. And, and honestly, this isn't even about people transitioning the military, but any kind of life, life transition. You're, you're going off to college for the first time or the second time or third time because you had to change jobs. Your industry is dying. You know, so, there's something happening and you've got to transition who you are and what you do. And the first thing comes back to this card that I carry from Rob Campbell. You have to define you. What are you passionate about? What are you good at? And then figuring out what does that look like as a career? It's taken me well over a decade to figure out I like solving problems and I like thinking smart about those problems. Mm. Well, gosh darn, turns out being a data analyst is exactly that. And it took me a decade to figure that out. I just went in like, I'm just going to tell people to drive trucks and I'm going to go fight bad guys. And it's like, <laughs> so figuring out who you are and what you're passionate about, that's really what's going to set you up is once you know what you want to do and you can find those jobs and then start backwards planning. Okay. In order to get to that point, what are the skills I need? Well, I'm going to need to be able to do ABC. And maybe right now this is what I do and what I know, and I can start building those gaps and figuring out how do I translate what I do now into eventually becoming that. The other thoughts are there's no such thing as too much planning or too much preparation. You, you can't start planning too early. I mean, sometimes you're just like, I don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now. But I do save money in retirement because I do know what's coming. I can't just start planning for retirement five years before retirement. I had to start planning for retirement when I got my diploma from college. Right. So there's no such thing as too early to plan or too much prep. I started writing my resume in November, the November before I was getting kicked out in July. And I went through like probably 30 revisions and was still talking to a resume writer in June because I'm like, no one's biting. Something's not right here. And then finally talk to people outside your group. If you're transitioning out of the military, don't talk to people in the military. You can't talk to the people in uniform because they don't, they don't know. They don't know what's right. on the outside. So I started reaching out to my friends who I'd met who were in the reserves, National Guard, like, hey, you actually have to, like, do this whole civilian thing. How does that work? Like, what do I do? What do I need to know? Right. And I started connecting with people on LinkedIn, like folks like yourself, listening to supply chain podcasts to go, well, what the hell's actually happening out there in the industry? start learning this, talking to my old professors, talking to just connections and people who I applied for with jobs and saying, well, taking apart the whole whether or not I'm even a candidate for this, what can I do better? What should I know? What advice do you have? Because people really just want to help each other out. And, and some of what I heard there, a couple things, you know, really, I don't, I hate to use the word, you know, thinking outside the box because it's so overused. You know, there's a lot of things when it, when it comes to resources and things you can lean on to help make a transition easier and, and help find the conversations that you need to have once you've determined what you like to do, what you love to do, what's your passion and what you want to do. You're really getting, really thinking, sitting down and using sounding boards to identify that community of resources you can lean on. I, th I think that's a great point that you're speaking to. Yeah. And then the other thing I think 
that really stands out because a good old resume. I, I think of my transition and when I, when I think of all the conversations I've had with folks transitioning, uh, I think a lot of folks, and I'm guilty as charged here because once I, I, I paid 250 bucks or something to get a resume writer to do it. And then in my mind, I was like, I'm good here. This is, it's not going to change. This is what I'm going to use. But those constant tweaks as you, as you put it out in the market, the feedback you get, or you might think of a highly leverageable skill set or experience you had six months after you've had your resume or six weeks, add it in there. And it's a living yeah. and breathing document. I think that's a really valuable lesson for folks to learn. First thing I did after getting hired on at Pepsi was I put it on my resume because I was like, I don't know, you know, you never know when you might need to pull that thing out. So first thing I did is I put it on the resume and then just a, a thing I picked up from the military of always kind of keeping track of your achievements for that annual evaluation report. I started doing the same thing at Pepsi and just I kept updating my resume because then it became, well, just in case I have to hunt for a job, you know, God forbid they close the warehouse or whatever, I've got it ready. And then when it came time to sit down and do my end of year evaluations, like, well, I've actually kept track of the things I've done. That's so important. That is so important. So if you're listening to that, whether you want to do it the old-fashioned way and keep a nice little written journal, manual journal, as you knock things out and get accomplishments, get feedback, you're just keeping a, a, an experience journal. Or, I'll tell you, these days with email, Aaron, you, know, you can do a save as on an Outlook email and just create a folder, and it's so easy. You don't have to print anything. It's all portable. So that's a great, great piece of feedback. I want to add that to my, some of my conversations I have. All right. So before we talk about what you're doing now in your company, you mentioned APEX. You mentioned some of your industry association leadership and, and volunteer leadership. That's an interesting point and valuable point, I think, for our listeners that, that maybe they're already started there. Maybe they successfully accomplished their transition, but now they're in, you know, in their career and they're trying to move up like we all are associations can be a great resource as well. Speak to that for a second in your experience. Association, just really knowing people. It's the old school network and it's being brought into the modern age. Just knowing people, like you said, thinking outside the box, it's such a cliche and you can't do it unless you, because you're in your own box. Right. And the only way to think outside the box is to have someone outside talk to you. So getting to start building those outside friendships, the people you don't work with, the people you don't necessarily always socialize with, they're not necessarily friends, but they're associates, colleagues, and you get to hear new ideas, you get to hear other experiences, and you get to you know continue to see more of what's going on. It's one of the great things about these professional associations. You you get to swap you know your occasional war stories over a beer. You get to hear guest speakers talking about what's going on. I think we lined up a representative of the Department of Treasury to talk about some of what's going on in financial markets and how that impacts supply chains. I have this job because of one of our professional development meets indirectly. I never even knew that McKesson was a company. I didn't know they existed until we held a professional development meeting at the McKesson headquarters to talk about supply chain impacts on the medical field as a result of the tariffs in China back in 2018. Didn't know right. the company existed, so I couldn't apply to them. If you're listening to this, that's trillion-dollar advice because I think what I've been touting since I first set foot in any association is it gives you an opportunity to gather market intelligence, actionable yeah. market intelligence to do exactly what you've done very smartly is connect the dots, see a big opportunity, and jump, open up that door and jump through it. I love that. So, so if you're listening 
hey, that's why you find, find the, determine what you want to do, figure out um, what your passions are, and then fig, you know, kind of work backwards to figure out how to get there. But look at associations because they can, if you use them and engage yeah. in them, just like Aaron, you can really, you can really, um, it accrues to your benefit. All right. So much to talk about. So little time, Aaron. Um, I know you've got a lot of passions and, 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 and expertise and insights around the global supply chain world we're living in. You know, one of the recent live streams, we talked about the noble mission we have as practitioners, you know, is the vaccine and vaccine and more importantly, vaccine distribution. So tell us what you do now uh, with McKesson. McKesson is a medical supply company. For those who don't know, uh, we provide medical supplies to clinics, to skilled nursing facilities, um, at-home patient care, a lot of the medical facilities. In fact, pretty much everything but hospitals. We don't prioritize hospitals as one of our main markets. Uh, we leave that to some of the other folks. But we've been doing it for well over 100 years. Uh, McKesson's a very old, long-time company. And my role is with the medical surgical team uh, division, really. I'm a tiny part of a very big operations analysis department. I'm specifically tasked with analyzing warehouses and figuring out better slotting strategies. Um, I am one of two slotting analysts that McKesson keeps on hand. I work with each of the distribution centers uh, right now. Like, for example, I talk to our Dallas facility. They want to improve their pick to light. I start looking up numbers. I start figuring out strategies. I work with them hand in hand. What's your experience? Here's a thought. Does this work? We collaborate together to come up with how do we make it happen faster, better, smoother. Doing fulfilling your passion, which is crunching numbers and giving folks data-driven advice, right? Yep. That is, it makes me very happy every day because people listen to me, for starters. That's nice. Uh, they actually take my advice seriously, but I also get to, to do things for them. I was like, hey, how would you like to be done earlier in the day? Because I can make it so you pick faster. Yeah, pickers generally like that. Let's, one more question about the current role. When you hear the word slotting, for folks, veterans or non-veterans or folks that may be listening that aren't familiar with warehouse operations, just define that real quick. What, what's slotting? Obviously, warehouses hold a lot of stuff. In our computer-driven age, we like everything to be well-labeled and organized and sorted. We don't just stack stuff up. We learned that probably pretty quickly when we started building warehouses. You don't just throw it all together. You put things in their specific place. And so everything's got a slot that it needs to live in. How we organize those slots, what lives where, uh, how much to keep on hand, because we've got to be concerned about those inventory carrying costs. Are we doing too many replenishments, not enough replenishments, tying up you know, labor hours? That's a lot of what I focus on is how things fit into the giant puzzle that is the warehouse. Do we put it on shelf A, B, C, D? Do we put it at the front of the aisle, the middle, the back? How many different you know, aisles do we even need? I'm just a small part in that big process because there's a lot of other people figuring out bigger strategic goals. How much business do we want to move from this warehouse to that one? Uh, so I focus a lot on that kind of tactical application of how do we better organize and sort everything in the warehouse. Well put. Think of the good old, uh, when I hear of slotting, I think of um, the spaghetti diagram, tracking footsteps and motion and, and how can we eliminate a lot, a lot of the wasted motions, yeah, right? It's, that's what it is. Yeah, so I love it's it. A part of that, Aaron. I know that when you when you go broader with global supply chain, as we start to wrap up here, we'll, we'll make sure folks know how to connect with you. 
you know, you know what's, what's a uh, topic or a trend or a development or an issue, challenge, you name it, that you're tracking more than others right now? What, what, really, what are you really diving in deep on that, that gets you passionate? Honestly, I kind of just like listening a little bit about everything. I don't really have anything at this moment that's really got me because I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of my own work stuff. You know, I'm middle of a big, big project I can't talk about. I've got so much going on with me that I honestly have just like what I just want to keep a pulse. What's going on out there? But really, when it comes to data and how do we use it better, I'm always fascinated by that. How do we make it more accessible? How do we do it smarter and better? is the kind of things that really intrigue me. If I can take the liberty of, by extension, it's, it's how can we make accurate data, the actionable data, uh, transparent data, but make it for the people that may not be data analysts. You know, I, I'm not, uh, I wasn't great at math, you know, and that's M-A-F-F, by the way, Aaron. It just didn't come naturally for me. I, I went from, from an, you know, I wasn't cut out to be a, an engineer or certainly not an advanced data finesser, if, if I'm a coin a word here. But really making it where in this information age where all the data and, and ideally all the accurate, relevant data is at our fingertips, how can we make it easier for folks to consume it and make smarter and faster decisions with it, right? That's perfect. That's a great analysis, Scott. It's because, you know, we've got a lot of statistical illiteracy out there. You got to remember lies, <laughs> damn lies, and statistics and how we help people better understand it. How do we make it easier to understand how do we get the right data because garbage in, garbage out? That's a big passion of mine is just, you know, get, getting those fundamentals because often what we talk about when it comes to that global supply chain, a lot of it just boils down to just good basic fundamental principles. One last thing I love that you kind of just exude through the interview is it's not crunching the data and all the numbers to say, ah, ah, ah I gotcha. It is the opposite. It's crunching all the information and saying, hey, here's how we can help. Hey, use this and, and empowering others. And, and really, you didn't really use those words, but that's what I pick up on through the last hour spending time with you. And that's, that's worth the price of admission. So thanks so much for that, Aaron. All right, so let's make sure. I imagine you'll have some folks that may want to compare notes or at least connect with you. What's the easiest way to connect with Aaron Freed? Probably LinkedIn, despite being all this computer data stuff. I don't do Twitter or anything like that. I, I ain't got time, but I can be reached on LinkedIn. My profile is Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, dash, Freed, F-R-E-E-D, 42, because 42 is the answer. Well, you know what? We're going to make it even easier. We're all about one click. We'll have a, a, a link to your uh, LinkedIn profile so folks can make the connection and follow up with you. And really, really appreciate all of your time and what you do and, and you know, how you view things, Aaron. It was really, it's enlightening. Uh, it's a breath of fresh air, especially from kind of your, your niche, so to speak, when, when it comes to data and information and, and leadership. Appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I, I don't really feel like, you know, all that important guy. I'm just kind of, I'm just a guy who does, who does some work. We need hundreds of thousands of folks just like that, guys and gals that just want to do the work. So really appreciate it. Uh, we've been talking with Aaron Freed, warehouse slotting analyst with McKesson and U.S. Army Reserve Logistics Officer. Aaron, thanks so much. Thanks, Scott. All right, so we're going to wrap up here. Hopefully our audience has enjoyed this as much as I have. Uh, really enjoy Aaron's perspective on behalf of the entire team here at Veteran Voices. Hey, we invite you to find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Find us too. We waste too much time around here, Aaron. Find us on Twitter, 
Instagram and LinkedIn, but most importantly, because we want to hear from you. We want to amplify your voice. And if you're a veteran with a special story to tell or a story that you'd like to tell, reach out to us. We'll try to work you into our programming. Finally, Scott Luton wishing all of you nothing but the best. Hey, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. Be like Aaron. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on Veteran Voices. Thanks, everybody.